This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Good morning. Glad that you came to church today, and I think that God has just got some great things in store for us, so I hope that you came expecting to receive something from the Lord. This is our second week in this new series that's called Definitions, and really what this series is about is about finding out what God says and not just what we think about certain things, because you and I may have different definitions of the same thing or the same word, but yet we may be meaning two completely different things, and at that point of conflict, that's... That's often where we all have issues. That's where we, we, we always find the struggle is when you may be saying one thing and I may be saying another, but we're trying to really say the same thing. So I think that we need to submit our thoughts and our ideas to God and say, okay, God, not my thoughts, not my ideas, but your thoughts, your ideas. And we can find that through scriptures. Amen? Amen. And we believe that the word of God is absolute truth. And so we want to do that today. We want to search throughout the word of God to find out what his definition is on what we're going to talk about today, and that is the purpose of the church. We're going to talk about the purpose of the church and the true definition of what that means. So let's look at what Webster's Dictionary says about church. The first thing that Webster says is that it's a religious building, a, you know, a building for public worship, especially in the Christian religion. The second thing is uh, religion's followers as a group. So in other words, you know, that's more of how the Bible uses the word church in the context of all of the followers of that religion. So all of us together collectively make the church. And then the third one is a religious service, a religious service that takes uh, place in a church. So it's funny, we are the church and we go to church to have church. So we use that word a lot. And a lot of us have different ideas about what that word means because our experiences and our preconceived ideas really shape our perceptions. And the things that shape our perceptions create our definitions. So every one of us may have a different definition based on our perception of church. Or we may have preconceived ideas about what that word really means. If I were to take a poll and ask you, what is church supposed to look like? What is, what is church supposed to be? Everybody in this room would probably come up with a different answer and a different definition because our definitions are based on our experiences or stereotypes that we've kind of bought into, those preconceived ideas of what we've heard from other people or what we've seen on television. You know, if your only idea of what church is, is the church scene in the Blues Brothers movie, then you've got a pretty jacked up view of what church should be. Looks like a lot of fun. Everybody's doing backflips and having a good time. But, you know, a lot of people, they, 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 they may have this stereotype that they've bought into of what church is, whether they've ever uh, darkened the doors of a local church building or not. Or a lot of us may have our definition shaped by our experiences or what someone else has told us. You know, some people are sitting at home right now because of an experience that they had that defined church for them. People are not going to church this Sunday because of experiences they've had in their past and they had a negative experience. Maybe they got hurt. Maybe they were offended. Some people are skeptical. They don't really want to trust anybody. They think that if I come to church, all the preacher's going to want to do is talk about how he can get in my wallet because that's really all he's after anyways. And so people are skeptical. So they'll stay at home. They'll stay away from church because of skepticism. Or they have this definition of church being a place where I come for hope. You know, it's my weekly shot in the arm, and I have to have that weekly shot in the arm to get through the rest of my week. And that may be someone's definition of what church is. Some people are simply consumers, and they walk into church with a consumer mindset. They're not really looking at a way to be connected or a way to plug in. They're just looking at what can I get from the church. Does it have all the amenities that I want? And we just kind of shop around for something that will do everything that we want it to do. And so we have more of a consumer mentality. Some people come to church out of fear of not coming to church because they're afraid of what's going to happen if they don't show up. Some people come to church... Simply out of tradition. Well, grandma did it and mom did it, so I guess I'm going to do it, and I don't really know why. But I just show up. You know, some people come because they're looking for answers. So whatever our preconceived notions are, whatever our experiences may have been, all these things have shaped for us 
how we view this thing that we call church. Some people have a healthy view of church. Some people have a very distorted view of church. Some people associate church with very painful experiences because there's been so much pain and so much disappointment that has happened in this thing that we call church. So I think that all of us need to look to the Word of God for answers to clarify the definition of what church is supposed to be, what the definition of church is, and how you and I fit in this picture of what church is. But our, our perceived or our current reality may not be God's definition of what church should be. What? That's a really nice way of saying we all could be wrong. Are we okay with being wrong? Most of us know. Heck no, we don't want to be wrong. Are you kidding me? No, my definition is the right definition. This is how it should be. We think this is how church should go. This is what church should have. This is when we should do this and how we should do this. And we have this definition of what brings us a sense of comfort because this is what church means to me. But what if we're wrong? What if what church, what we think it's supposed to be, what if that's not what God intended for it to be? What if we're wrong? Perish the thought. I say this a lot, but it's a tough question if we really think about it. Are we willing to give up what we have come to know and believe for the truth? A lot of us would immediately say yes because that sounds spiritual to say yes. But when we're actually challenged and we come face to face with the truth, are we really willing to give up our idea? Are we really willing to give up our perception of what we've come to believe and know this is how church has to go, this is how things have to be in church, to look at God's word and say, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe God says something different. And so today we're going to look in the word of God, the absolute truth of God's word, to find out what his definition of church is. So let's go to the book of Matthew and the 16th chapter. We're going to find out what Jesus had to say about this thing called church. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to look at verse 13, but I'm going to set this up a little bit to help you understand exactly where we're at. All right, so Jesus takes his disciples to a region called Caesarea Philippi, all right? And this area is very heavy demonic um, activity in this area because it was the, one of the central hubs of pagan worship. And the god Pan was worshipped in the area of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, you've heard of the Pan flute. Well, what the god Pan was supposedly doing was that he would play this flute to lure people in for sexual encounters. And he would lure anyone in with this flute and mesmerize them, and then he would have sex with them. And so to worship the god Pan, what they would do is that it was a, a very, very perverted area. And they would do a lot of perverted things in worship of the god Pan. And there was an area there, and it's still there today. You can actually Google this and look this up. In the region of where Caesarea Philippi is, that there is an area that is called the Gate of Hades. They believed that it was the actual portal to Hades where they would send people. It was just this big, long, long cavern. And that was a place that they would do sacrifices, a place that they would uh, you know, do things in honor of this false god, Pan. And here's Jesus with his disciples. And where are they at? They're hanging out, Caesarea Philippi. Not a good place to be if you're a good Jewish person. So here they are, hanging out in Caesarea Philippi, and this is what happened. Verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now let's stop right there. Peter just had a revelation of something that had not yet been uttered by anyone. He actually confessed Jesus as the Christ. Now a lot of us may have the misunderstanding that Christ is Jesus' last name. It wasn't like, wow, I found out your last name, you sneaky guy. 
It's Jesus the Christ. That word Christ is not Jesus' last name. That word Christ means Messiah, anointed one. It means the one who was prophesied about for all of the, 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 the ages of the Old Testament where the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these guys were prophesying about the coming of this Messiah, this Christ, this Savior. And Peter just caught on that Jesus was him. And he just saw it. And so he said, you're not just another prophet. You're the one we've been waiting for that's actually going to redeem mankind back to God. You are the Christ. And then Jesus said this in verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his, his disciples should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, we see here that Jesus uses this term church. He tells him, he says, he says, Peter. He says, your name is Peter. He said, and that word Peter is a word that's called Petros. And that word Petros means a small rock or a portion of a larger rock. And that's this, this, this stone. He said, your, your name is Rock. He wasn't telling him he was Dwayne Johnson. He was, he was telling him, he said, Peter, he said, you, uh, your name is Peter. He said, and you're, you're a portion of this. And then when he says, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. When he used that word rock, he didn't use the word Petros. He used the word Petra. And Petra means a foundational stone, a very large foundation rock. He was telling Peter, you're a part of this. This revelation that you just caught, it, it, this is part of this, but it's much bigger than you. This Petra foundational stone, this is the rock that I'm going to build my church on. A lot of people have the misunderstanding that they think that somehow Jesus was saying, I'm going to build my church on Peter because he said that, uh, you know, upon this rock I'm going to build my church. He wasn't talking about building the church upon Peter because if you read just one, two, three verses later, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, you're an offense to me. And he was talking to Peter. So why would Jesus say, I'm going to build my church on you and you're the devil? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Because you see, Peter was a man that could fail, that could fall. Would Jesus build his church upon a man who was fallible? No. Would he build his church on someone he was just about to call Satan? I certainly would hope not. But a lot of people think that, but that's not what he was saying at all. He was saying, Peter, your name Petros is a small part of this revelation, this Petra that I'm going to build my church upon. He was saying that he was going to build his church upon the revelation of the fact that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior. That's the foundation of the church. And you and I have to understand the foundation of this thing that we call church. It's not Peter. It's the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. So, the revelation of Jesus as our Savior is that foundation. It's it, that's it. And we have to always remember that. That's why we teach and preach the gospel here at Word of Grace. That's why we teach and preach Jesus here at Word of Grace. Because Jesus is the foundation of this thing we call the church. He, this, this revelation that He is the Savior, that He's the only one, that He's the one that died for us, that He's the one that reconciled us and brought us into right relationship with God. That is the foundation of the church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Amen. Against what? Against Peter? No, against the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's our hope. He's our Savior. And we base everything we do off of that foundation. We build off of that foundation. So with that in mind, let's go over to the book of Acts in the second chapter. We're going to look at what happened as a result of this thing called church putting their foundation in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, uh, 41 says this. He was, let me just give you a little background here. Peter was preaching and, uh, to a lot of people about Jesus being the Christ, about Jesus being the Messiah, because this is fresh on everybody's mind. Jesus has just ascended. He hasn't been gone very long. Here's Peter out here. He's preaching. He's teaching. 
people about this revelation that he received that Jesus was the Messiah and leading them to also put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so this is what happened, verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now all who had believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and their goods, and they divided them among all as anyone had need. They continued daily in one accord in the temple and in breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. Now, all of these things happen as a direct result of understanding their need for Jesus. These things were an, a, a result or an overflow of the foundation correctly being in place of understanding we need Jesus. We're dead in sin without him. Amen? And because of that, all this stuff began to happen. I mean, we saw, this. We, we, we saw these things. I'm going I'm to give these things to you. We saw baptisms happening. We saw that they began to grow in their understanding of doctrine. The, the Bible says they grew in understanding of the apostles' doctrine. The apostles were teaching them. They were growing in their relationship with God and their understanding of Him. They were growing in fellowship. They were going from house to house, and, and, and they were spending time with one another. They began to pray together. They began to be in unity, or as the Bible says, in one accord, and they began to care for one another. They began to be very charitable and reach out. Matter of fact, they sold almost everything that they had and made sure everybody that was in need had something. They began to worship God together. They began to take the Lord's Supper together or communion. They were taking that together. That's what the Bible was talking about, breaking bread. They were actually doing that because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And then as also one of the things that happened was there was numerical growth that came through conversion, through people coming to know Jesus. So this thing was busting at the seams. And here's this list of all these things that we see that happen as a direct result of Jesus Christ being the foundation of the church. That's why these things happen. These things happen as an overflow. These things happen as a result of the main thing being in the hearts of the people, and that is Jesus made us who were dead in sin alive. When that is the main thing, those things naturally happen. Now, here's what happens in church too often. We look at this list, and we go backwards with the deal. We try to make these things happen and figure out how we can do these things, and the foundation oftentimes is not Jesus. It's how good we look or how good we feel or what we can try to accomplish in and of our own strength. And we go, let's go, let, let's try to get people baptized. Let's try to get people to grow in understanding and doctrine and grow in fellowship. And so we work really hard to try to make these things happen. And we look at it like a checklist. And we think, oh, if I can check this off and check this off, then I'm a good Christian person. We think, oh, if we can check this off as a church, we're doing pretty good as a church. Jesus never said, I'm going to command you to do all of these things. And you need to make sure that you mind this list and do all of these things. No, these things happen as a direct result of the main thing being the main thing. It was a natural flow. Should these things happen in church? Absolutely. But they shouldn't happen because we're trying to make something happen. These good works shouldn't just happen because we're trying to do them. Good works are a natural response to understanding the gospel. Good works come as an overflow of us understanding, wow, we really need Jesus. He really is as awesome as we sing about and as we preach about and teach about. And I need Him and I'm dead without Him. And it drives me to a place of worship. It drives me to a place of service. It drives me to a place of wanting to break bread and fellowship and remember Him and to worship Him. It drives me to a place to want to see people baptized and see people saved and see people come into the family of God. It's a natural response, not a checklist. We can look at Acts 2 and 41 and go through all those scriptures and go, okay, now I see what i got to do. Okay, I'm going to try to do this, try to do that, try to do this. That's not what it is. He never told them to go and do those things. Matter of fact, he said, go into all the world, he said, and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the good news to the poor. What good news 
What is good news to a poor man when a poor man realizes that he's poor and that there's a Savior that can welcome him into his family? That's good news to those that are dead, those that realize they're dead. Too often we look at the list and we go, oh, because I can check off the list, then I'm not dead. No, no, without Christ, we are dead. Without Christ, we are dead. And those good works don't make us right with God. They're a natural response to understanding my need for Him. Amen, somebody? You see, here's the thing. Responding to the gospel... And understanding my, my need for Jesus causes me to do all of these things because we all need Jesus. We all need Him. And these good works come out of my understanding of my need for Him. The cool thing about this whole body of Christ church thing is that every one of us are different. And so each one of our responses to the gospel may not look exactly the same. Our responses will look different because each one of us have been gifted differently. We're all parts of this body of Christ. That's what the Bible was talking about in Ephesians 4 to 15, where he says that we need to speak the truth in love, and we need to keep our focus on Jesus because he's the head of this body, but we are parts of this body. And when each one of us does our part, it says that it causes growth in the body for the edification of itself in love. It causes us to grow when we understand who we are and our individuality and our response to the gospel and how he's gifted us us and how we all work together to proclaim the good news of the gospel. You see, we we, we get this thing backwards so many times where instead of understanding that these things are a response and each one of us has an individual response that's a part of this body of Christ, we will try really hard to figure out how to do something like love God, love people, and serve the world. Well, our church has this thing on a big red wall when you walk in, love God, love people, and serve the world. And How do I do that? It's not a how-to. Understand it's not a how-to, it's a response. It's a response. It's not how do I love God, how do I love people, how do I serve the world? No, it's understanding the the love that God has for me and my love for Him, and it causes me to love people. Why? Because God loves people. And it causes me to serve. Why? Because I love people. Because God loves people. Why? Because I love God. I get it. I have a revelation of who He is and how much He loves me. And I can love Him because my foundation is Jesus Christ. Him crucified. Him giving His life for me. And Him making what was once dead now alive because of Him. It's not my life, but it's His life. That's on the inside of me. That changes me. That makes all things new. And now I begin to grow in my understanding of his love, my understanding of his grace. And when that is the foundation, I'm going to love people and I'm going to serve because I understand how great of a God he is. Amen. You see, the Bible talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So he's given us, the church, his body, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, guys, we gather together for a purpose that is much bigger than any one individual. Amen? We gather together for a purpose that's much bigger than any person. That's why it's not just about word of grace. That word of grace is a, is, is a small gathering of believers in the grand scheme of things. When we look and we see how many brothers and sisters that we have in Christ, when we look and see exactly what God is doing all throughout the body of Christ, and we have a part to play in that. We're called to this area for such a time as this to be able to reach the people in the area He has given us influence in, and we want to preach and teach and show the ministry of reconciliation 
Because that's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. Amen? That's the foundation. It's all about Jesus. That's the rock that Jesus said he was going to build his church upon. And out of that comes natural, flowing, good works when we make the main thing the main thing. It's a response. You have your favorite sports team, maybe. Maybe you like the Packers. Maybe you like somebody else. I don't know. doesn't really matter. But you want to know what? If you were watching them on TV or you had a game live, and all of a the sudden they score a touchdown, there's not a guy on the field that has a sign that says, okay, clap and yell now. <laughs> I'm not as much of a football guy as I am a basketball guy. I love basketball, and I love the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm one of the few. Yes, we do exist. And I've been to two games already this year. I just went to a game this past Wednesday, and oh, just pray. And, um, but I love them. I, I, I think it's a lot of fun. I'm, I've always been a big basketball guy. And, you know, I, I really like Karan Butler. And I was watching him play, and when he shot a three, you know, he missed. And I'm sitting there going, oh, boy. He shoots again. He misses again. So I start standing up, okay? I'm standing up, and I'm going to talk to Karan. I've got good seats, but not that good. I'm standing up. I'm about 10 rows off the court. And I say, stop shooting threes. And you wouldn't even know I was your pastor at the Bucks game. And I'm slapping things. I'm slapping things. And, and I'm throwing my arms around. And I stand up occasionally. And I'll stand there like this. And I'll throw my arms up in the air like this. Why am I doing that? Because I'm trying to communicate to them because I'm trying to be their coach or I secretly have my basketball jersey underneath my clothes saying, Coach, put me in. (laughs) But here's the deal. No one has to tell me to do that. Nobody had to coach me on how to do that. What was it? It was a response to something that I was passionate about, something that I was emotionally engaged in. It's a response And when we understand that we're gathering together for something that's bigger than us, it's not what we necessarily come to do to try to figure out, okay, how do we love God, love people? It's that when we come together, we understand that Christ is the foundation. This is bigger than any individual. And my natural response, my natural passion is going to lead me and it's going to bring me to a place where I want to serve, where I want to do something for God because I'm passionate about Him. I want to worship Him. It's a natural response to understanding the goodness of God. Amen, somebody? There's so many things, though, in church that unfortunately, that that, that this beautiful family of God, this, this thing we call the church, is often a source of a lot of hurt for people, a lot of offense for people, a lot of bitterness for people. There are things that people choose to get offended over in church that disconnects them from purpose. And I said that correctly. I said people choose to get offended over things. It's a choice that we make. We choose to dwell on that offense. And what does it do? It disconnects us from the purpose of Jesus being the Christ, of Jesus being the Savior. It disconnects us from the foundation. We, we, we get cloudy, and all of a sudden we can't see clearly that foundation anymore. And we get very much introverted, and we turn in on ourselves. And the enemy wants that to happen because he hates unity in the church. He hates the church being in one accord because when the church gets in one accord, and I'm not talking about a little car, I'm talking about when the church gets together, when they get in unity, crazy awesome things happen. The message of reconciliation and the message of Jesus spreads throughout the earth. People get added to the church daily. All these natural responses, all these natural things begin to happen that the enemy absolutely hates. But when division gets in because we get offended because we get hurt and we choose to dwell on that offense, then it begins to cloud that. It begins to get us away from the foundation. You see, here's the thing. The enemy would love to emphasize the smaller things in church to get, us to, to get our focus off of what the definition of it is. The enemy would love for us to do that. That's what causes splits and divisions and murmuring and, and complaining. All of those things, they they're all are getting us off the focus of what the main thing is. And when the main thing no longer becomes the main thing, then our effectiveness is weakened. 
and this thing called church that's supposed to be something beautiful, that's supposed to be something healthy, all of a sudden gets very distorted in our minds. And we can't move past this one offense. We can't move past this one thing that we're dwelling on. And, 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 and we get frustrated and we get angry. Let me tell you something. Church is not an organization. It's family. It's a family. The family of God. And let me tell you something really crazy. that will jack your little world up. It's your forever family. That may mean that if there's people in your natural family that don't know Jesus, that the person sitting next to you that you may not be blood-related to, or as we say in the South, blood kin, that you're not blood-related to, guess what? That person is going to be a part of your family forever, and the person that's related to you by blood may not be. They may not be with you forever. You mean these jokers going to be with me forever? <laughs> forever. That's exactly right. We're going to be together forever. Now, where there are people, there are going to be disagreements. But it's different when you're family. Amen? Amen. You ever disagree with your parents when you were growing up? Ever disagree with your brother or sister growing up? Psh. Ever think they could do things better or differently? Ever disagree with your children? Psh. But do you just leave and, and get upset and get angry and get offended? No, you figure it out and you work it out. Why? Because you're family. Something different about family. Family can endure a lot of offense and a lot of junk because why? They love each other and they forgive. And they move on. Is this church perfect? No. Am I perfect as a pastor? No, abs absolutely not. And I'm not going to try to convince you that I am because I'm, I'm not. You should go with me to a Bucks game sometime. I'm not perfect. <laughs> but let me tell you something. It's not trying to be perfect. It's keeping the main thing the main thing. And not getting off track because the enemy would love for us to forget that it's all about Jesus. Because you see, when I understand it's all about Jesus and it's not about me, then all of a sudden the things that I would complain or be upset about or would be angry or frustrated about, I've got to remind myself, no, I need to walk in a spirit of love and a spirit of unity because that's a natural overflow of being a follower of Christ. I need to strive to keep unity because that's when we're effective. Amen? It's when we're effective is when we're together. When we're divided, we're weakened. You know, I've seen churches split and get upset over some of the silliest things. I've been in church my whole life. I have literally seen churches split over changing the color of the carpet. Now that is sad. People get upset and angry. Why? Why would we leave over the color of the carpet? Because we miss the point that this is all about Jesus that we thought that somehow it was all about me and what I wanted and what I like. No, this is all about Jesus. He's the foundation. Amen? Amen. He's the foundation of this thing. You see, no church is perfect, but the question should not be, does my church cater to me and give me everything that I want? We should be asking the question, am I called to be here? And is this church founded in the gospel. Amen? Amen? Am I called to be here? Because you see, when I'm a part of my family, I, I, I don't give up. I, I don't allow the little foxes to spoil the vine. Amen? Amen? Because the main thing in family is we all really love each other at the end of the day. Yeah, we may not always agree, but that's okay. It's okay. Because we may not always agree and someone may forget to do something or may do something that upsets or, 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 or would offend you for a second, but, but we've got to remind ourselves, wait a minute, I'm not going to allow this to set up in my heart and dwell on it because you want to know what happens when you let offense dwell in your heart? You get more sensitive to the next offense. Then all of a sudden you become an offense magnet. And it's like you're not even looking for it. It just finds you. 
It started off as one thing, but you dwelled on it for a long time, and then all of a sudden you got more sensitive to it. And, and, and then you got more and more sensitive to it. And then before you know it, you're looking for it. Somebody, somebody say something. Say something. Say something. And we want to be offended and upset. And, and what does it do? It turns the focus off of the foundation that's Jesus Christ and turns it on me. And the enemy uses it as a trick and as a trap, as a snare to get you focused on yourself, get us focused off of Jesus being the Christ, being my Savior, being my Lord, being my purpose and my reason. And then all of a sudden, what happens when I'm offended? The good works stop flowing quite as much as they were before. Why? Because I'm no longer focused on Jesus. Then all of a sudden, division begins to happen. People begin to be upset. Why? Because we lost it. We Somewhere along the way, we, we, we miss the fact that it's about the gospel, that it's about Jesus. And am I called? Am I called to be here? And is, is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this, the, is, is, is this where God wants me? And, 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 and are they preaching the gospel? Let me tell you something, church. If I stop preaching the unadulterated truth of the message that is found in Scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ, find another church, please. Amen, somebody? Because I am going to preach this truth. I want you to hear this truth because that's what we're here to do. We're growing together. We're growing in our understanding of who He is. But let me tell you something. Don't allow offense to set in to where it, it gets you so sensitive to it that we get our eyes off of Jesus. Because if we keep our eyes on Him, it'll help us to begin to work together, even in the areas where people may disagree. Because here's the thing. Church is about connection. Church is about connection. You see all throughout Acts how they were connected to one another, how they were connected together. It's all about connection. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 10 says this. Let me show you. Hebrews 10 and verse 24 says that, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Talking about the day of Jesus' return. How many of you believe that based off of what's happening in our world that the return of Jesus is very soon? Amen. We see that all around us. We see the escalation of things in, in our time that, wow, makes your head spin at some of the things that are going on in our world. And the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't, don't forsake the assembling of the body of Christ coming together, especially when you see that day approaching. And we see that day approaching more and more and more. More now than ever in the history of have more prophecies been fulfilled and have more things begin to happen that are beginning to get the wheels in motion for the return of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says a lot of people are going to stop assembling together because they're going to get discouraged or frustrated or offended. But don't you forsake that, especially when you see the day approaching, because you need one another. You need to spur one another on to good works and to love because this is an important thing, this thing called church, the body of Christ. Amen, somebody? It's about connecting. It's about being a part. So are you connected? Are you connected to this assembly of believers that we call Word of Grace? You know, we're a church that ministers to about six, 650 people every week. And that's not just weekend. That's Celebrate Recovery that happens on Tuesday and Grief Share and our new coming military ministry that we're about to start. And that thing's going to get off the ground and there's no telling how many more people we're going to reach because of that. And then 180, there's people that come on uh, Wednesday night. That's our student ministry for teenagers. And, and, and there's people that come to those that we may never see on a weekend. But on our weekends, we, we've been averaging 550, 600 people. And then we average another 50 to 100 people throughout those ministries that don't even come on the weekend. So there's a lot of people that call Word of Grace their home. And we've grown a lot this year. I mean, there, there, there have been over 300 people that have come through the doors just in 2013 alone. And a lot of those people have chosen to stay and make Word of Grace their home. It's been a wonderful year to see the growth and the explosion of, of, of our numbers here at Word of Grace. And a lot of times what can happen is that because when you see a, a, a large surge of people coming at one time, you can feel very, very disconnected. And you can go, I don't know anybody. How many of you have said that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> 
You look around and you used to know everybody. You used to know people and you look around and you go, I don't know anybody anymore. That's a good thing. Because guess what? You've got an opportunity to make new friends. Because here's the thing, connection is a choice. It's a choice. Connection is a choice. Now, I'm not going to lock everybody in this room and make sure that everyone gets to know everyone's deepest, darkest secrets before we leave today. That's not what we're going to do. It's not a forced thing. It's not something I want to try to make you feel guilty about. I don't want to do that. I don't want to try to manipulate you by making you feel guilty about not doing this or not doing that. That's, That's, no, you won't hear me do that. I want you to do it because you choose to do it, because it's in your heart to do it. Why? Because Jesus is the foundation, and out of my understanding of Jesus being the foundation, the natural overflow is me wanting to connect. Now, some of us have different personalities, but ultimately it's still a choice. Whether you're shy or whether you're outgoing, it's a choice. I want to ask you, are are you feeling lost in in the growth that we've seen at Word of Grace? Because you do look around and you say, I don't don't know anybody. But I want to ask you, are you connected? Are you serving? Are you plugged in? Are you giving? Are you venturing outside of your comfort zone to meet new people and to make them feel welcome, make them feel cared about? And I'm talking about more than just a hi, how are you? Because that's easy. We can do that to the the, the person running the cash register at the grocery store and not have a real relationship (laughs) with them. I mean, have you really talked to someone that you don't know? I would challenge you to do that, to get outside of your comfort zone and choose to make an effort to be connected. Amen? Choose to make that effort to be connected because God has created us for connecting. Are you investing in the work that God has called Word of Grace to do? If the answer is no to all of those questions, then how should we expect to feel connected? We'll be very disconnected as long as we have that mindset and, 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 and that mentality. And I don't say that to make you feel bad. I, I say that to help to raise your awareness that, listen, instead of us getting offended, let's keep the main thing, the main thing, Jesus Christ, and let's go out and make an effort to connect and to unify the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Make an effort to make Word of Grace one of the most unified and, and, and connected churches. And that doesn't mean you have to know everybody, but everybody needs to know somebody. That's kind of my philosophy. I mean, there's a lot of people that, that, that I don't know, but I try to know more people than I don't know. And that's just me as the pastor. And, and maybe there's just a handful of people that you could get to know and build relationship with. And I mean, not just here on the weekend. I mean, during the week. I mean, get to know people. Show them that you care. Because here's the thing. When you're a part of a family and somebody's sick, who's there? Family. When you're doing great, things are going well, who's there? Family. When things are going bad, when, you, when you're losing something, when you're in fear of something, who's there? Your, your family is there. And that's what a church should be. Man, I look at people who are not connected to church and I go, how in the world do they make it without church family? I know that the things in life that I've been through, the people that surrounded me were church family. And that's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to care. It's a natural overflow of making the main thing the main thing. But here's the thing. If connection is a choice, I know a lot of you may be thinking, listen, Pastor, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've come from. Maybe you grew up like, you know, the Blues Brothers with the the ruler with the nun. You know. Maybe you grew up getting slapped on the wrist by a nun, and and maybe that's your experience of church. And so maybe you've seen the ugly side. Maybe you've been wounded and hurt because things didn't go the way you wanted at a certain time in a church, or maybe something happened that was out of the realm of your control, and it made you very upset and angry, or someone said or did something, and you've got a lot of negative feelings and negative uh, thoughts associated with this word church, and so you don't want to be connected. I don't want to connect because I don't want to put myself out there because I'm still wounded. Well, let, let, let me help you today. I, I know you've been burned before, and I know you've been disappointed, and I know you've seen the ugly side, but the enemy would love for nothing more than to keep you offended, upset, and focused on yourself so you'll feel isolated like nobody cares about you. That's what the enemy would love to do, right? To every one of us. He would love for that to happen. But here, here's the thing. Don't give the enemy that power in your life. Don't give the enemy that power in your life to keep you disconnected 
from this beautiful family called the body of Christ. It's not perfect, but nobody's family is. You tell me whose family's perfect. You tell me. When things go wrong in your house, when you go to talk to your son or your daughter to try to mend that relationship, does the music kick on and start playing like full house? Let me tell you, little Stephanie. Dun, dun, dun. I'm sorry that you couldn't go to the dance with little Johnny. Is that how it goes? No. It's not perfect. Everything doesn't work out perfectly. But you know what? It's still family. Amen? Amen, amen. We need to allow God's Word today to redefine our definition of what church is and how God has called each and every one of us to be a part of advancing His kingdom because this whole thing is really all about Jesus. So I want to give you three things today to help you to redefine what church is. And I want you to write these down. One, get connected. This is so important. Get connected by serving, by giving, by getting more involved. Introduce yourself to someone. Make an effort to get connected. Do whatever it takes to get connected. If you're not doing these things, again, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I just want to challenge you. Get connected because we do care. This church is full of a lot of awesome, awesome people that will just love the snot out of you. You guys are awesome. You want to know why I like you guys? This is, this, I've been in ministry 14 years, and this is by far the, 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 the best experience of my life because you guys are hilarious. <laughs> you guys are hilarious. I have been in other places where people always give me this strange look. You guys don't give me a strange look. You're like, oh, that's just our pastor. And I love that. <laughs> if you won't give me a strange look, that's okay. I don't get offended. But you know what? I, I, love, I love that we can have fun together. And I love that this is a family. It feels so much like a family. I, I, I just, it's almost to the point where I can't go anywhere without seeing somebody from church. And it's always someone I just love to stop and have a quick conversation with. It's, it's just it's awesome. I, love, I, I, was at, uh, I was at the thrift store the other day. And uh, I was at Goodwill. And I ran into a couple of church folks. And, and we were just chatting it up and having a good time. You know, and you guys are everywhere. They're everywhere, they're everywhere. And I love it. It, It's just awesome, but it's part of that feeling of connection. And we need to make efforts to be connected. So I would challenge you, before you leave the service today, don't just shoot out. I know you got the roast on or whatever you're doing. I don't know. You got to clean the house before you have that, you know, people over. What I don't know what you're doing. But before you shoot out today, stop and just try to talk to somebody that you don't know. Say, hey. I'm stepping out of my comfort zone and try to get connected. If you're not serving, get plugged in. Serve. It's going to be worth it because we were created for connection. Second thing, forgive those who have offended you and expect nothing from them in return and aspire to keep a spirit of unity and love. Amen, somebody. Forgive those who have offended you. You know, it's real easy for us to forgive somebody and expect something in return, right? We'll go to them and we'll say, you know what, I've forgiven you for this. And, 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 and you expect them to say, well, oh, well, I forgive you too. Well, what if they button their lip and they go, mm-hmm. You're going to get re-offended. And now you're mad at them all over again because they didn't respond the way you wanted them to respond. Well, I'm re-offended. And then I get sensitive, and then I dwell on it, and now my sensitivity to offense is even bigger, and then I get offended about everything, and next thing you know, I'm mad, and I'm disconnected, and I'm missing it. So forgive people who have offended you, and expect nothing from them in return, because that's true forgiveness. Jesus was hanging on the cross, and one of the last things he said before he took his last breath was that he said, Father, forgive these people. Because they don't know what they're doing. And then they all said, oh, will you forgive us, Jesus? Yeah. No, they were still mocking him. They were still laughing at him. They were still calling him names. They were still wanting to see him die and loving the fact that he was suffering. But yet, in that moment, he, he didn't say, my forgiveness for you is contingent upon what you say to me. No, he said, forgive these people they don't know what they're doing the Bible says that we don't war against flesh and blood but we war against principalities and powers 
And it's that, 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 that spirit of unforgiveness that the enemy would want us to kind of buy into, kind of dwell on. That's the thing that we're warring against, not the person. It's not the person. You, you've got to understand that. So that's why we forgive and expect nothing in return. You know what? I'm going to forgive you. Why? Because Jesus Christ forgave me. Amen, somebody? See, the Bible says in, in 1 Peter that we're called to be good stewards of the grace of God. And however much grace you've been given, you, you have to steward that. Be willing to distribute that. Amen? Amen? That means even when people want to slander you, talk bad about you, hurt you back because you hurt them. What does Pastor Mike say all the time? He says that hurting people hurt people. And that's true. And they're trying to hurt you because they themselves are, are hurting. But we can be the difference maker. By stopping and saying, you know what, I'm not going to allow this offense to set up. God, help me to walk in a spirit of peace and unity and love. Because that's important to keeping us effective. That's keeping the main thing, the main thing. Amen, somebody? Amen. And then lastly, recognize your need for Jesus by reminding yourself of the gospel. And allow his goodness to lead you to good works. It's his goodness that will lead us to good works. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance. His goodness that leads us into all of these awesome things coming out of our lives. But we have to remind ourselves of how good He is and how much we need Him. Amen? Amen. I, I hope that this message has helped to redefine for you what church is and what it's supposed to be. And through the Word of God, we see I may have some messed up definitions of what I think that it should be because of hurt, because of pain, because of disappointments. Or I may have wrong definitions because maybe someone always told me this is what it should be. No, it, it, we're a family. We are the family of God. And I want you to remember that today. I want you to remember that this week as you go spend time with your family in Thanksgiving, that that's a picture. That that's a picture of, of, of the family of God. That's a picture. So when you see all your goofy relatives come in for Thanksgiving, you just remember, yeah, this is kind of like church. <laughs> oh, 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 uncle, uncle, this so-and-so brought this, and uncle, yep, there he is, yep, he's just as crazy as he was last year. And those people are in church, and it's okay. You might be him. <laughs> so don't go pointing fingers too quick. You might be crazy, Uncle Eddie. But here's the thing, folks. We need to allow God's Word to shape our definition of what church should be, so we all, as Word of Grace can be a part of this local body that's a part of the bigger picture, the body of Christ that is all founded in the gospel of Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 Would you stand up? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.